This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Mike Tomlin is leaving the light on. He's pulling the old Motel 8 with he's the Pittsburgh leaving? Steelers. No, he's leaving the light on when it comes to Ben Roethlisberger, when it comes to T.J. Watt, the two most important players for your Pittsburgh Steelers heading into this Sunday's game and heading into any game on the NFL schedule. Moving ahead. Jacob Recht and Tom Offerman with you here on another fine edition of the Steelers Standard. Working our way through this week. Headed towards week 11 against the Los Angeles Chargers. And a lot of things were said from the Mike Tomlin press conference yesterday. The only things that I care about, though, is the status of some players out with injury or out with COVID. Mika Fitzpatrick finding his way onto the COVID list after the game on Sunday. Pretty safe to assume he will not be available for the Pittsburgh Steelers this Sunday in L.A. T.J. Watt suffered that hip injury on his sack of Jared Goff on Sunday. He is questionable. Like Tomlin said, he is one of the guys that he will be leaving the light on for. But I think the big one, of course, is Ben Roethlisberger added to the COVID list last Saturday night before the Lions game. Literally the curtain call of a COVID call. Still kind of up in the air based on his status for this Sunday. Tomlin said they will be implementing a game plan that is centered around Mason Rudolph being the starting quarterback. However, there is a chance that Ben Roethlisberger, much like he was taken out of the game at the midnight hour, might be able to be put into this one at the midnight hour. It won't have any effect that the game is a Sunday night game because it's all about having two days' worth of consecutive negative results for his COVID tests. So it's not like, I mean, maybe if he has a little bit of extra time on Sunday to get that second day in, Maybe that does have an impact. I actually didn't think about it that way. But still, it's all about getting those two consecutive days of negative results back for Ben. And listening to his comments that he made prior to him getting COVID, Tom, it seems that he's taking this very seriously. And the reason those comments were asked to him, Tom, were because of the comments made by Aaron Rodgers and his stance on COVID and his stance on the vaccine. And... It's fine that Rodgers didn't get the vaccine. What was not okay was the fact that how he went about his everyday life, treating himself as if he were fully vaccinated, walking around without a mask on, ignoring NFL policies. Ben Roethlisberger, however, is fully vaccinated. It was just unfortunate he caught it. But the way he was talking about it sounded like he's quarantining even without before he had COVID. He was keeping himself safe, only going out for necessities such as groceries or whatnot. So I can only imagine that when he got the result back that he was positive, he is now taking this even more seriously than it was before. And let's not forget, too, Ben Roethlisberger self-reported. This wasn't a, oh, I had to go in and get my test per usual, per the NFL standards. This was, I wasn't feeling great. I want to make sure I'm okay. Unfortunately, I wasn't. So I think Ben Roethlisberger is taking every step possible he can, A, for the safety of himself and his family, and B, for the well-being of his team, because I think it's apparent to everyone, and including Ben, that this team rides or dies with Ben starting at quarterback. I think it's very commendable that he self-reported as well. I think, you know, he feels those symptoms. If this is three years ago, he plays just with a little – illness feeling a little under the weather in that game but 
this is a different world that we live in these days. And right. when you start to feel those symptoms, you have to come forward for the betterment of not just yourself, but for everybody around you in the community. And he did that. And that's what a real leader does. Aaron Rodgers, you should take some notes. Kind of crazy to think that the last time Ben Roethlisberger played football was in a pre-COVID era. He went from completely missing the 2019 season. So really the last time he played a full NFL season that was pre-COVID was 2018. It's been a while for Big Ben, but he handled this gracefully. And Tomlin has even said, too, that, you know, they're extra careful on their end of things to separate Ben from the other players on the team, from big groups of people so they don't have number seven go down. Earlier in the season, when there was a question about Ben's status when he first started to get the, the, the injuries piling up, the shoulder and the pec and all, all the things that have been added to the laundry list since then, when that first started to happen, there was some question about will Ben be able to play, I think it was in the Bengals game or, or a game earlier in the year, a game that T.J. Watt was also questionable to be out and also ended up missing. That begged the question at the time, who's more important for this team to be in the lineup? Is it Big Ben or is it T.J. Watt? And back then, I said T.J. Watt. You know, Ben mm -hmm. really didn't look that impressive at the beginning of the season, and he hasn't looked like a world beater since, but he's been very consistent, and he's been solid, I'd say. But I still was saying this team wins with defense. T.J. Watt's the engine that drives this car. If they're going to win football games this year, it's going to have to be in that Vaughn Miller, Denver Broncos right. defense kind of vein. We've seen that already. T.J. went out there and absolutely won the Seattle Seahawks game, and his presence definitely impacted some big wins that the Steelers have had along the way. And his absence also was kind of huge impact. Loss. Let's not forget the, that Raiders, the Raiders game loss came because he wasn't out there for the entire second half. I and then uh, subsequently the following week against the Bengals, right. he wasn't even on the field and they ended up losing that game. I'm flipping, though, now, Jacob, now that we've seen so Mason Rudolph play and we've seen what it looks like without Ben Roethlisberger. Granted, we also were without T.J. Watt for a good portion of that football game on Sunday and potentially this Sunday as well. Without Ben Roethlisberger, you can't even hit the layups consistently on the offense. And that's the one thing he was doing well, if anything, this year is the layups were getting hit nine times out of ten. And with uh, Mason Rudolph, I mean, there's two big layups. The slant to Deontay and the touchdown, should be touchdown pass to, to Ray, Ray Ray. I mean, those are easy money, wide open, fast court breaks that are you just finger roll it right over the rim, and he missed them both. So that's what you're missing with Ben being out, and that's why I, I'm honestly flipping now as we look towards the Chargers game. Mm -hmm. The most important piece for me to come back is number seven, and I think you can get by without number 90, although it's going to be an uphill battle without either of those two. It's just such a weird circumstance that the Steelers are in because they're coming off a tie against a Detroit Lions team that was 0-8 going into that game, and the Steelers had Mason Rudolph at quarterback. If this was Week 11 and the Steelers were on the road against the L.A. Chargers and they tied, we'd be saying the more important piece is T.J. Watt because at that point the defense held in check a certain offense that has a potential to have a high potency, they didn't, and they actually ended up tying with Mason Rudolph, you would be saying, well, if Mason can tie with the LA Chargers, it's pretty obvious that TJ Watt's absence is the is the key factor here. If TJ Watt plays that whole game, the Steelers win that game. So it's just I think it it, it it's a week by week case. However, the way that Mason Rudolph could have made this a non factor of a game we were kind of saying, ironically, 
on last Friday's episode saying how it, we were annoyed that the Steelers were playing at the same time slot as the Browns and, and the Patriots because that game had a lot of implications on the AFC playoff race. We were saying hopefully the, the, the Lions-Steelers games is taken care of early on. The Steelers jump out to a very big lead so that we can turn our attention to the Pats and the Browns. And it ended up being the opposite, right? We didn't have to worry about the Pats and Browns because that final score was, what, 45-13 to 13 or something 45 like that? 45-7. to 7. 45 to Giving 7. them a little too much credit in Cleveland. We had to watch 70 minutes of football for Pittsburgh and Detroit. So I just think it's it's unfortunate that given the circumstance, we're sitting here saying Ben is the more important piece than TJ because I think coming into this week, Tom, there was no argument to be made on the contrary that it should have been TJ being the most important piece and Ben being the second most important piece. Yeah, there's nothing that Ben has done either that's made me change my mind. It's more of what I've seen out of Mason. Out of Mason. Yeah, it's just, it. like I said, you got to hit those layups, especially when you're the backup quarterback and you're playing a winless team at home. And that was very upsetting to see that kind of performance from someone who he's been in the league now for four years, is it? I mean, he's he's a veteran now as far as a backup is concerned. So, And he's seen his fair share yeah, of playing time yeah, for a backup I, behind a guy who's an 18-year established veteran. Yeah, exactly. 19-year established vet. 300-plus passing yards and two touchdowns in the loss to Cleveland last year when he had to start the last week of the year. So I was expecting a lot better out of him, and unfortunately he fell flat on his face in this outing. Uh, we know what happens if Ben doesn't go in this game. It is Mason Rudolph. There's, there's no reason to think that – Dwayne Haskins even has a remote chance of getting in these football games. I mean, I know people were saying, why don't you throw it to Haskins in the middle of that game? Or why don't you look at Haskins this week if Ben is still on the COVID list? No, he's just not ready. Mm-hmm. Clearly the team thinks it's not ready. Mason gives them the best chance to win in their mind. Uh, what happens if TJ Watt is out, though? Which, uh, listen, Charlie Batch loves to say on the postgame show, if you leave a game and you don't return in that game – Odds are you're probably not going to play the very next week. So the light is on, according to Mr. Mike Tomlin. But T.J. Watt, his questionable status is a little more up in the air in my mind than Ben's is, I think. Do you think that's only to act as like a scare tactic against the Chargers? Nah, because, my God, why are you playing that kind of chess? You, you need T.J. Oh, Watt. Oh, right? why are you playing that kind of chess? Why don't you ask the Pittsburgh Steelers front face? They've been playing chess against themselves pretty much all season long. Well, I don't, I don't think you need to have a smoke screen against the Chargers and say, well, maybe there won't be T.J. Watt, although the level of play could drop off dramatically if he is out of the lineup. Alex Highsmith would obviously take over as your pri- primary mm-hmm. as your premier pass rusher. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say primary and premier, and I combined them into one word. I like primary I think it's a good word. But other than Alex Highsmith, you drop off to Taco Charlton, who was a former first-round pick, but, I mean, he couldn't stick onto a team until just a couple weeks ago when the Steelers signed him to the practice squad and then finally got elevated up after the Melvin Ingram trade. And then you've got guys like Derek Tuska that have seen more playing time as of late because of the injuries, and especially after what went down in that game on Sunday. You saw Tuska out there a little bit more, but... The Steelers have regressed mightily in the turnover department as far as their defense is concerned. There has been some regression, but not much at all in the sack department, in the getting pressure on the quarterback department. So that's really still their bread and butter, their identity of this defense, and the leader of that identity is number 90. 
So him being out, I know we just said you need Ben more than him, but him being out, I mean, you hope Alex Highsmith can step up. And I, let's just say this, I have a little more faith in Alex Highsmith stepping up than I do a Mason Rudolph. But it's still dire straits on that uh, outside sure linebacker, is. edge rusher kind of position without Mr. Watt in there. Absolutely. TJ Watt is still on pace despite playing in – what's the difference now between playing time between Miles Garrett and TJ Watt? About three games, I think. I think when you take into account – They haven't had a bye yet either, the Browns. The Browns haven't had a bye. Garrett hasn't missed a game. TJ has had a bye. He's missed an entire game against Cincinnati. He's missed two separate halves between – just this past week against the Lions and earlier in the season against the Raiders. So what, he's played three less games now, only one sack behind, if not only just a half sack behind Miles Garrett, basically going toe-to-toe with him in terms of quarterback hits, quarterback pressures, tackles for loss. If not, he's leading in some of those categories with three less games. T.J. Watt is your front runner, in my eyes, for Defensive Player of the Year. Right behind him, Miles Garrett, should be right behind Miles Garrett, is Cam Hayward. When you take away a defensive player of the year caliber player, you're going to look different. No matter how much potential you see in Alex Highsmith, Alex Highsmith can only be the greatest version of Alex Highsmith if he's playing alongside T.J. Watt. If Alex Highsmith is out there to be the number one guy playing against or playing alongside guys like Taco, we know where the attention is going to go. Alex Highsmith is not used to getting double or maybe even with extra defensive linemen and, and offensive linemen matchups, triple coverage against a quarterback. T.J. Watt can handle that. We know that. We've seen that. Alex Highsmith has never really had to go up against that for a full 60 minutes for for a longer period of time. And I can just – I could probably say point blank right now that he is not going to excel with that kind of added – guardianship for the quarterback in his direction. Yeah, and Alex Highsmith has one and a half sacks on the year so far. And I he's been really good against the run, so give him credit where credit is due. And he's had some good pass rush win rates against the tackles he's drawn. But one and a half sacks is just not enough production mm-hmm. at this point in the season. You need to have a couple more to your name uh, if you're Alex Highsmith. If you are winning, your pass rush is like, Pro Football Focus is telling us you are, and our eyes are telling us you are, too. Yeah. If you're that stout against the run, you got a three, four sacks by this point in the year. That That's adequate when you're second fiddle to Mr. T.J. Watt. I keep calling him Mr. T.J. Watt. I just pay so much respect to him. I would but just one call him and, Mr. One and, a half, one and a half sacks is just not cutting the mustard if you're Alex no. Highsmith. And I know he's only a second-year player. But you got to have a little bit more out of this guy. You were really banking on him heading into this season. Hell, I think the reason why Melvin Ingram got disgruntled is because of how much you liked Alex Highsmith. Well, it's time for him to start returning that favor and returning that faith that you have into him into results onto the field. Absolutely. Let's not forget what Bud Dupree was able to do before he went down. Granted, Bud Dupree was, what, a fifth-year veteran, a six-year veteran by that time? A little more pedigree, too, coming from an SEC school. That's fair. I mean, we, we know that uh, Alex Highsmith came from um, – Charlotte. Charlotte, thank you, University of Charlotte. Um, so it, he came with a lot less pedigree. I mean, the one thing I always hearkened back to about Highsmith's college career was the fact that he sacked Trevor Lawrence twice when they faced off against Clemson. 
maybe now that's looking like a career highlight for him. I'm not saying that the, the jury is out already on Alex Highsmith, but we saw Bud Dupree get better and better as T.J. Watt got better and better. The fact that T.J. Watt is playing right now at the, I would say, at the prime of his career, right? He, he is now, what, a, a fifth-year guy, a fourth-year guy? TJ? Five, I think. But I, I think it's his fifth year. Um, the fact that he's doing that, he's playing in the prime of his career. Alex Highsmith should have no excuses to not take full advantage of that. Everybody knows the TJ Watt name. Everybody has the same respect for TJ Watt that they have for any other defensive player out there. If I mean, there is no player that gets more respect than TJ Watt if your name isn't Aaron Donald. So... Alex Highsmith should be able to strive playing alongside him in this era of TJ's career because everyone is going to game plan against TJ Watt. But now the fact that TJ Watt has been removed from the equation, I don't see that sack number getting increased anytime soon, Tom. No, and the matchup he's drawing this coming Sunday against Rashawn Slater mm. on the left side of that Chargers offensive line. I was doing the advanced scout with Matt Williamson last night. You can keep an eye out for that, by the way. A little shameless plug here anywhere you find your hey. podcast. Hey he thinks he's not only the best lineman in this class so far. He said, with all due respect to Najee, with all due respect to Chase, with all due respect to Mac Jones, he thinks he's been the best wow. rookie on the offensive side of You'll the ball all year. You'll never see an offensive lineman win rookie. That's exactly year. how he framed it. But he was like, just looking at him, he's been the best offensive rookie overall in his mind mm -hmm. so far this year. Jacob, when they played the, the Browns and maybe the game of the year so far in the NFL, he was actively telling his coaching staff not to help him out with Miles Garrett. He does better one-on-one. <laughs> -on -one. And... He did a decent job against Miles Garrett in that football game, too, and he's been outstanding for them all year long. So that's a really, really uphill battle that Highsmith's going to have to face. In fact, like Williamson said, it wouldn't be such a bad idea if Watt is out to maybe bump Highsmith around to the other side of the line where Watt usually is just to get him away from Slater. That right tackle's a lot weaker than the left one for for uh, L.A. Yeah, I mean, it. it's... I trust the coaching staff here. I feel like they will be able to not necessarily negate Rashawn Slater. It's a matchup that Slater's going to win, I think, nine times out of ten. It's at least something they can prepare themselves for in a way that isn't going to be detrimental for the Steelers overall. I mean, think about it, Tom. How much more detrimental can a, a, games, a game plan be for you right. when you just have the Detroit Lions of all teams run for over 200 yards against you? I don't know if that happened because Jared Goff is such an incapable quarterback. I mean, we know that we know the numbers he ran, or he only passed for 11 yards up until one point, um, and so the the Lions kind of forced themselves to run the ball because there was no passing options. That's not the case here with Justin Herbert. However, I think in the pass block game and in the run block game, the Chargers are going to have the upper hand no matter which direction they go. Pass block game for sure. They're one of the best pass blocking teams in the NFL. They run block, and eh, they're kind of a softer bunch. They're not really hard-nosed. Average 100 yards on the ground, though. So even though it's down towards the 20s in the league, that's still okay when you're running the ball for at least 100 yards per game. Finally, the other guy that's uh, the big name that they definitely will have to replace this Sunday, uh, v, albeit a miracle happening and him testing negative like crazy, but Minka Fitzpatrick added to the COVID list after the Lions game, most likely to miss 
Sunday against the Chargers. Mm. Next man up would be Miles Killebrew, would be Trey Norwood. I mean, I don't know. We've talked in the past, Jacob. This secondary is really hanging on the edge, uh, teetering on that edge, if you will. Sure. If if they miss one guy, it really has the house of cards fall all the way down. Now they're missing one guy again. I'm worried this house of cards might fall down. You might see a lot more coverage gaffes. And, hey, you've been seeing some bad play from the secondary when they're healthy lately. So now you take Minka out of the equation, who hasn't been playing his best, but still playing a lot better than the next man that would be up. Of course. It's a scary prospect, especially when this team likes to pass the ball you're facing on Sunday. Yeah, they, they have two great receiving options. Three, if you include Jared Cook in addition to Mike Williams. And I'd Pete include Allen. Austin Eckler before oh, Jared absolutely, Cook. Yeah. too. But, and and mean, then you, you got Herbert Justin stirring Herbert, the drink. He's just yeah. a really great quarterback, a, a young quarterback in this league. But you can look at it from two perspectives, Tom. Do you look at it from the perspective of, yeah, this the, we knew the secondary was stretched thin, and as soon as one guy went down, it was going to be bad no matter which guy it was? Or do you look at it saying, well, the secondary has been pretty bad overall this year, allowing big splash plays all year long, allowing teams to just throw the ball with ease, not even in big, in big chunks, but just on that border of 300, 400 yards, which is something that the Steelers haven't typically done in the past. They're more in the direction of 200, 300. Which way do you look at it from? Do you look at it from the former where – it sucks to lose a guy and you knew the next guy up is going to be a big step down? Or do you look at it from the, the latter and say, well, they've been play, playing pretty horrid as of recently. Especially Minka Fitzpatrick, I think, is yeah. the biggest letdown of anyone this year Absolutely. in the secondary. So how much does it really kill you to lose any of those guys? The only way I look at it, the only argument I can say against that is the one guy you don't want to lose is Minka, despite his s- sub- par play this year you know what I think that the secondary has been adequate when healthy I think Joe Hayden's actually played really well this year especially for his advanced age Mm -hmm. you might be down two guys this game though right with Hayden potentially being out as well now that's with an un-COVID relief now that's a death blow Mm -hmm. if you're missing Hayden and Fitzpatrick I think Herbert's gonna have himself a hell of a day picking apart that secondary I almost called him your two veterans meanwhile Mink is younger than Terrell Edmonds, and it's the same age, if not barely older or barely younger than. Kansas. Well, there's a guy you gotta have step up, exactly. and Both of them. and James Pierre is a guy you gotta have step up if Hayden can't go as well, because there is talk that I've heard. Just you know, we're around some pretty important people, Jacob. I, sure, <laughs> I don't please. mean to you know flex all, a little our bit. Our ears are always. But the people that we're people. around are also around people that hear things, and what I've heard from the people who have heard from the people who know things is that the Steelers are super high on James Pierre. And I think that's something we could have uh, determined on our own. But they think this guy's got the potential to be a superstar in that building. And he played really well against the Lions. He made some pretty big plays. I'd say out of the secondary, he had some of the bigger plays, especially with some tackles for loss that he had in that game. Blowing up some screens. Going to have to step into that full-time cornerback role, though, if Hayden, of course, is down. So... The secondary really does uh, keep me up at night as we head towards this Chargers game on Sunday Night Football. And one last guy I wanted to touch on who's not injured or not with COVID but might be starting to flirt with a little bit of a replacement is Devin Bush in the middle of that defense. You're starting to hear some chatter about, not from the Steelers, but from people 
who speak into microphones, maybe Spillane. Like, maybe it's time to just throw him out there. And it's not because Spillane's great. It's not because they're sitting there thinking, I love Robert Spillane. This guy's getting the short end of the stick being on the bench. He needs to play more. No. It's just Devin Bush is really upsetting. And Mark Caballi was on the Madden show this week, and he said, you know, I was in that same camp as Devin Bush is going to break out. It's going to happen. This is the year. Give it some time. Okay, a couple weeks into the season, he doesn't look good. Give it some time. It's He's warming up. He finally came on yesterday, and he's like, I'm starting to pull back from that, man. I, We're I, in week 11 here. I just don't see it from Devin Bush. And he was like, you know, you had that recovery from the bad knee injury, but that's 13 months ago now, so that should be well in the rearview mirror. It just does not look good for the guy the Steelers traded up to pick with a top 10 pick. He does not look like he's going to cut it at the NFL level the way that we all hoped he would have. And when you're thinking about maybe putting in Robert's teams. I thought he could. When you're thinking about putting in Robert too. Spillane, though, that's, that's when you know it's getting sign. real, real bad. But I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to ponder on the radio this week is maybe it is time to put in number 41 instead of 55 because how much worse could he really be? Well, we know when they switch to dime, that's been kind of a big narrative of this defense for the past couple of weeks. They like to put in Spillane because he's a far more – the Steelers are far more comfortable going with him in that in that scheme because he's the better run protector. And you know what? They're getting run all over lately. Exactly. So, so why not? Exa- exactly. You saw the Detroit Lions, of all teams, run for over 200 yards. You don't think the L.A. Chargers are looking at Bear Austin Eckler and thinking, buddy, you're going to have a big day on Sunday. Iguabuke's 42-yard touchdown run was like his fourth carry of the year. Of the year, Jacob. Uh, what was Jamar Jefferson's for his 35-yard touchdown run? Probably his third carry of the year. Right, like because that. let's not forget, this was a third and fourth string right. running back we're talking about. Jamal Williams, was their out. second number, their number two guy was out. These are a third and fourth string running back who ran all over. Yes, DeAndre Swift was the one who got the 100 yards in the day individually, but these two also had big performances. Jamar Jefferson could have continued to have a big day had he not got injured on that touchdown run. So uh, it, it is not outlandish in week 11, Tom. We are at week 11. Enough is enough. It is not outlandish for us to get on the show and say, maybe you got to just start going Robert Spillane. And I hate the fact that we have to do that because the athleticism that Devin Bush brings to the table is off the charts. And because he checks he checks all the boxes combine-wise. Like, he's a workout darling, but it just doesn't seem to translate once you actually step onto the field. And real football action. He looked good his rookie season, but the splash plays that he brought to the table that rookie year, they're nowhere to be found. His first half of the season last year before getting hurt, and now this year— there's zero splash from Devin Bush, and you, you trade up to get a guy like that because you want him to be all splash. I mean, look at Devin White in Tampa Bay, the other big linebacker in that class that went right before Devin mm. Bush. Is he making textbook fundamental plays for them? Of course he is because I think he's just better than Bush in general anyway. But he's also still making those splash plays for the Buccaneers. Sure he is. Especially in that playoff run last year. Devin White was all over the place getting interceptions, making his presence felt making the opposing quarterbacks have to really take into account where 45 is on the field at all times. Bush just doesn't, hasn't, and I don't know if he ever will reach that level. And and that's extra upsetting because, you know, you pick a guy in the top 10 and he 
flops, that's one thing. You trade up to get into the top ten to pick that guy, and he flops. That that's a whole nother bad. Yeah, pick the right Buccaneers there. didn't trade up to no, get Devin White. They were sitting there at five anyway, you know. But Steelers offering up capital in order to get into that position and then have him potentially still be a bust. That that really stings a little extra hard, especially when you consider the pedigree of Kevin Colbert. This guy does not make uncalculated risky risky moves. He knows what he's doing on draft day, and this just might have been one of those very rare moments where not that he took a risk, but he made a decision, and it just did not pan out. That'll do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. As always, very appreciative for you giving us a listen. Check out all of our stuff, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. For Jacob Recht, I am Tom Opferman, and we will talk to you guys next time.